take your Bibles and turn this morning to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I think I'm kind of glad that I have tennis shoes on this morning because I have a lot to cover. I won't run around, but I'm not sure if I'm going to breathe because I don't have extra moment for breath. I have much I want to say this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 4. We're going to have to fix that slide. So, so, I don't even know if I have the right words to say how we must be feeling about the recent news of, of 12 people who were shot and killed in Virginia Beach this week. And, and we're kind of getting used to that news. A few weeks ago, we had another school shooting here in Colorado, just up the road from us. A young man lost his life. Others were injured. Two are now facing charges as, as adults because of this. And this, this shooting brought up again the, the discussion of um, gun control, the discussion of bullying. And even the topic of the transgender debate came up as one of those charges, one of those that were charged as claims to be uh, transgender. And we have in our nation, if you pay attention to the news, we've got, this, we got one governor in one nation that, that's working to promote laws for abortion. Then we got another governor in another nation that's, that's working to create laws and develop laws against abortion. And, and, and in the middle of all that, you've got precious unborn children and precious, confused, pregnant mothers. And there's fighting and division. We face this constant debate over what do we do in our nation, what do we do in our communities, and what do we do, what do we do, it's even in our churches with this idea of homosexuality and same-sex attraction, it's dividing churches. We have the constant, it's constant and continual plague of divorce. We've got children, so many children going up in a single parent home. There's constantly stories that we're hearing of children that are having horrible experiences of abuse physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally. We face human trafficking not far away, but here in this city. We have people in country being treated as though they're second class citizens, whether they're minorities or whether they're women or whether now they're even middle-aged white men. We have protest and fighting over whether a statue should be taken down or not. We've got stories of white people being hateful to black people. We've got stories of black people being hateful to white people. We've got stories in Venezuela. I, I read that over that the average Venezuelan has lost 25 pounds because they don't have food. Because of this crazy government that's upside down. And you must be in a hole asleep somewhere if you haven't noticed a growing problem of immigration at our borders. And we've spent seven or eight, I don't know, six to eight Sundays talking about our, our national debt represented by, and that's just crazy, represented by personal debt and personal bankruptcies and foreclosures. It's never ending, the question of homelessness. We face the challenges of opioid addictions and the ever-increasing battles of pornography. We constantly hear of so many facing mental illness and depression. We live in a state, I'm pretty sure I'm right on this, we're either first place or second place in the highest rate of teenage suicide. 
And it's on and on and on. And as followers of Jesus Christ, called to be salt and light of the earth, we've got to ask ourselves, what does that mean to be salt and light of the earth? In the words of Edmund Burke, the 18th century Anglo-Irish statesman and philosopher, you know these words, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Church, we can't do nothing. We can't. We're called to be the light and the salt of the earth. We cannot be silent. So what do we do? What do we do? It's like overwhelming, isn't it? Well, some, some turn to, to social media to let their voice, their influence be heard there. Some turn to the voting booth to let their voice and influence be heard there. Some turn to gathered protests to let their voice and their influence be heard there. Some just stay at home and, and, and rant and rave to their spouse or to their family members. And while perhaps these methods have their, their place and perhaps these methods have their influence, I'm convinced the answer to the question of what can we do, what should we do, it's clear. I'm confident the greatest answer to that question is that we are called as followers of Jesus to follow Jesus into the community, not with a primary goal of changing the laws of our land, if we can, great, but with the primary goal of being an instrument of Jesus Christ to change lives, individual lives, one at a time. That's what we see in this story that's what we see it means to follow Jesus. And so if you, are, if you are speaking out on the issues in whatever way, but your life is not devoted to speaking into the lives of hurting individuals with the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not following Jesus as I see in Scripture. So thankfully... We don't just start out really depressing and say, isn't this horrible, we have to do something, and we're not left with, well, what do we do? God hasn't left us with a, well, what do you do? God says, this is what you do. You follow Jesus. And so he's given us this incredible story that's been very formational in my life, showing us not only what to do, but finding the model of Jesus of how to do it. You, I'm sure, have heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan, famous parable of Jesus. Well, this is the story of what I am calling the not-so-good Samaritan. This isn't a parable. It's a true-life story of a woman who wasn't like the Good Samaritan. But rather, this is a woman, as you're going to see, she's been around, so to speak, and what's incredible, what's incredible is Jesus doesn't just happen to meet her. He's seeking her out. He is, he is, he is pursuing her. So we're going to spend three Sundays together following Jesus in this story that we might follow him in the story of our lives that we might learn from the master the art of the making of a disciple, the changing of one life at a time. And I want you to understand that I did not pick this text and this topic in a random way, but I picked it with intention, with reason. Because it's clear that this is, this is an area that's lacking here in our church family. This is a weak area that needs to change. It's an aspect that's central to the life of a follower of Jesus 
the seeking and saving of the lost. Call it personal evangelism, or as Jesus calls it, the making of a disciples. And if it's going to change here in this church, that means it has to change among us as individuals. It has to change in me. It has to change in you. And so I picked up this passage not only to, to motivate us in this calling, but to equip us. And so let's follow Jesus now as we enter into this story. In John chapter 4, it's a long reading. I'm going to speed up my voice a little bit. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now when he had gone through Samaria, now he had to go. That's interesting. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's like high noon. When, Samaritan, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, um, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, This is like pivotal verse here. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. And the water I give him will come in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, well, go call your husband and come back. Uh, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right when you say you've had no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Uh, (laughs) Awkward. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Let's change the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has come, now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He's seeking this woman. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, this is powerful. I who speak to you am he. That's a lot. That's a whole lot. There's so much there. I don't have time to unpack it all. So in your life groups, those that are still meeting, you work out some more of the details of this passage and work out more of this practical application. Next week, we're going to read this again. And I'm just going to, we're going to walk through this incredible conversation and look at how Jesus has this conversation with this woman. All I want to do, all I want to do right now is help us to see this woman through the eyes and through the heart of Jesus. That's all I want to do. Next week we'll get practical of what we do. 
Two things I want you to notice about how Jesus saw this woman. First of all, he saw her as an individual, not as an issue. I know that sounds odd, doesn't it? He saw her as an individual, not as an issue. So let me try to explain. So I've, I've been reading this book, and the author Preston Sprinkle, and in his book, and this is the title of his book, Two Views on Homosexuality, the Bible, and the Church. In his book, he makes this statement as he's, as he's introducing his whole theme of homosexuality. He says, It is, as I have stated elsewhere, not just an issue to be debated, but it touches the heart and humanity of real people. Homosexuality is not just an issue because people are not mere issues. But it does, and it's important he says this, it does include issues. Several issues, in fact. Issues informed by biblical passages. But homosexuality also involves listening. Listening to and entering into the lives of real gay, lesbian, and bisexual people. And while the author here is addressing in his book, Homosexuality, this can apply to any of the issues, especially in this story. If, if you really look deeply into this story, Jesus is unpacking tons of, of real life issues that we face with this woman at the well. He's addressing racism. He's addressing marriage. He's addressing divorce. He's addressing remarriage. He's, he's, he's uh, after divorce. He's, he's addressing sexual immorality. He's addressing potential unwanted pregnancy. He's addressing here gender inequality. He's addressing religious division. He's even speaking about hunger and thirst. But notice how he's talking about it. Through listening to and entering into the life of this woman whom he saw not as an issue to lambast, but as an individual to love. That's what he saw. He's just awesome. That's what he saw. And that's what he wants us to see. Let me talk to you about some issues. The issue of abortion, that's a big issue for us. It became, for me, about more than an issue when it became about an individual whom I know and love, my sister named Susie. She spoke about that here. The issue of transgender became for me more, became for me about more than an issue when it became about an individual whom I know and love, my close relative, Michael, who now wants to be called Elizabeth, an individual whom I know. The painful issue of pedophilia became for me more than an issue when it became about an individual, a close friend whom I know and love named James. And the issue of homosexuality becomes more than an issue when it becomes about an individual, perhaps a child, as Don McLaughlin shared with us publicly, perhaps as some of you as parents understand. Jesus is dealing with the issues, right? The issues of sexual immorality, of what do you do about unwanted pregnancy, divorce, racism, religious deficiency, excuse me, and gender inequality? They were for Jesus' moment more than issues. It was about a woman whom he loved and listened to, and he poured herself into her, his living water. On this day, 
Now, hear this. Do not, do not interpret what I'm saying to you right now as condoning that which the Bible condemns. Don't hear that. I'm going to say that again. Do not hear what I'm saying as condoning what the Bible condemns. But here it is a call not only to have a conviction about sin, but a compassion for the sinner to see and love people as Jesus saw and loved people like he saw and loved this dear woman. Recently, at two memorial services for one young man, you remember the story, most of us do, uh, Kendrick Castillo. This is the teenager who was hailed as a hero who, who gave his life to save others during the May 7th shooting at the, they call it the STEM school in Highlands Ranch. So they got these two memorials and a Colorado senator and a Colorado um, senator and, and uh, um, congressman both attended the memorials. And at the memorials, as the people had gathered to mourn and to grieve and pray, these two politicians got up and they, they spoke about the, the issue of gun control. And certainly that's an issue to talk about. But boy, did that take off and incense the students of that school. And so there was an interview with these students, a couple of them. And in this interview with the Colorado Public Radio, Christopher, a 17-year-old senior from the school, he said this. He says they, meaning these two politicians on this day, they were just talking about Kendrick like he was a, a prop. And that was something I couldn't handle. Another student from the school in, in the radio interview, his name is Gavin. He said, we are pretty much really mad because they turned us into politics about gun control when we came here to respect our brother Kendrick. And then Gavin, this teenager, said these words. Listen, we are people, not a statement. It's a teenager in high school. We are people, not a statement. It's not an issue. We're individuals. You you know the story. Many of you do. In in John chapter 8, these religious leaders, they brought to Jesus a woman caught in adultery, caught in sexual immorality. Interesting, they didn't bring the man. Why not? And they brought this woman, and this woman was to these church-going, not pagan, church-going I'm talking about, religious leaders. She was nothing more to them than a prop, a statement, an issue to make for a point for their agenda, but not for Jesus. To Jesus, she was an individual dearly loved, broken and bruised by her own sinfulness. Jesus saw her as he did the Samaritan woman at the well as an individual, not an issue. I I hope you're getting that point. Do you care about the issues should then follow Jesus in caring for the individuals. Oh, may we see through his eyes, through his heart. Secondly, he saw her as, as an individual, not an issue. Secondly, and this is a long point, he saw beyond the rough exterior of her sin into the empty interior Of the thirst of her heart. He saw beyond the rough exterior of her sin into the empty interior of the thirst of her heart. You can't see the picture. I'm going to have to fix that. But if you were to look at her, or if you had been there instead of Jesus and you would have seen her, you might have gone, oh, 
She's dirty. She's ungodly. She's loose. And she's bad. Jesus saw her. And he thought to himself, she's thirsty. She's thirsty. You see, the large context of this story is not about this woman's sin. Her sin's a part of the story, but it's about her thirst, which was at the root of her sin. And while this story could have been so easily about her passing herself on from one man to the other, about her living with this man outside of marriage and being sexually involved, Jesus could have made it completely and only all about that. He, he, he doesn't avoid that confronts it but we're going to look at the conversation next week he drives deeper into the thirst and the longing of his of her heart quoting from one author on this story he says this i assumed it was he at the heart of all this is the fundamental truth that in the human heart there is a thirst that only jesus can satisfy in every man and every woman, there is this nameless, it's like, what is it? There's something. This nameless, unsatisfied longing, this vague discontent, this something lacking, this frustration. And to these individuals, it's nameless. And they're looking for it, but we know it has a name. And that name is Jesus Christ. Her primary root problem wasn't sexual immorality, but it was a thirst for God that she kept trying to feel again and again and again from one relationship to the other. And she continued to find herself coming up so desperately empty. And behind all that we see, and we see it's, it's nasty, I know. Behind all that we see that may turn you off on the outside, At the heart of the symptoms of the sins that we can see. At the heart of drug, alcohol, and porn addictions. At the heart of issues with anger, outburst. At the heart of violence. At the heart of all this racial tension and discord. At the heart of marital conflict. At the heart of financial crises. At the heart of sexual immorality, whether it would be heterosexual or homosexual. At the, at the heart of the confusion over sexual identity. Even at the heart, even though this may sound odd for you for me to say. Even at the heart of those two individuals who took their guns to school at the Highlands Ranch. At the heart of all of that. Are lives that are hungry and thirsty. Seeking to be filled. But they can only be filled. As Jesus shares with this woman. By a a faith of knowing. And following Jesus. And and I believe he's referring to it here in John 7. You can can go there to to see. It's through the indwelling. As one comes to know Christ and, and by faith follows him. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I love the way he says it just begins to bubble up. And flow over what's happening on the inside. This feeling on the inside. It's manifesting itself in life change. On the outside. It's being filled as Jesus described in verse 14. Like a spring of water welling up to eternity. 
eternal, that's huge, to eternal life. That's really important because that shows us what I'm talking about today is about a lot more. Our greater goal is not about social change and improvement of life here on this earth. It's about that, but there's something greater going on here. It's about bringing Christ into people's lives for the hope of eternal life. And so seeing people in these two ways as as individuals and not issues... And seeing, as I've stated, beyond the rough exterior of one's sin into the empty interior of the thirst of their hearts, it does two things for us in motivating us. I hope it does. I prayed about it this morning to inspire us. It does two things. It gives compassion. It should. It compassion to realize that what I'm seeing on the outside is a result of a deeper need on the inside, a thirst, longing to be filled. It's not necessarily true that people that are doing all that we see that they're doing, that they're getting up in the morning and they're saying, I'm done with God. I want to be bad and evil and do horrible things. They're getting up thirsty. There's something they're longing for. And they're seeking to fill their lives in misguided ways. You may look at my friend James. He spent years in prison for pedophilia. You may look at him and be so turned off by that, right? So turned off by his sin. And you may just say, don't you let him out. You keep him locked up. You throw away the key. But if you see beyond his exterior, and it's a rough exterior, you see into his heart an emptiness and a thirst. You see, you see, hurting people hurt people. James didn't get up and say, I think I'm going to hurt children. He, didn't do, he did hurt children, but that's not what he got. He got up every morning hurting because his father abused him as a child. And he found himself so empty, so thirsty, not knowing how to process that hurt, not knowing how to fill that void, not knowing that Jesus would and could fill his thirst. Knowing that changes how you see him. It gives us compassion. James is he's a changed individual, living an incredible, healthy, whole life because someone didn't speak up speak out about the issue, but they spoke into his life. Changing one life at a time. It gives us, listen, it gives us compassion. And the second one, it gives us confidence. It gives us confidence in going out. Seeing people the way Jesus saw people, it gives us compassion to see beyond what you see. And it gives us confidence to say, hey, wait, I can do this. See, maybe, maybe if you're like me, you're kind of like thinking, one of the obstacles I have, and maybe you do too, in evangelism and making disciples and all this is that you feel like as though you're trying to convince something to do, convince people to do stuff they don't really, really do. You got to come to church. You got to live like this. It's like you got to come to the dentist and get your teeth pulled out without anesthesia. It's like, who wants to be a Christian? I have to convince them into this. But if what Jesus is saying is true, and it is, then we have what they need, what they're longing for. We have, we have the source of water to quench their thirst. That gives me confidence. So how do you do that? 
as we go to them. I believe this. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And I believe as I go by my words in my life, when my mouth opens through the overflow of that well springing up, I'm speaking, speaking living words, living water, and filling it into the life. I even pray that. I say, Lord, when I preached on Sunday morning, let my mouth open and you flow out, overflow. And we overflow from the words of, our words of Jesus in our life of Jesus. It begins to fill the life of an individual. Life change begins to happen. And there, all of a sudden, is the making of a disciple. And we're going to look at how Jesus did that next week in the conversation. Many of us were, were taught it in history. You remember uh, the the Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon and, and the legend goes that he was looking for the legendary uh, uh, what was it called? The Fountain I've got it here, the, the Fountain of Youth. And he thought, I think he thought it was thinking maybe it's in Florida somewhere. A fountain promising eternal youth. All the while Jesus is telling us as he spoke to this woman on this day Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him, listen, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Church, we live in a thirsty world. We're surrounded by signs of thirst everywhere. There are millions, billions of people living their lives like Ponce de Leon, looking for something. We have it. We have it. We have been given and we are filled with the living water of Jesus Christ, not to keep it to ourselves, but to take it to those whom God leads us to at the wells of our community. So really, really, are we going to be serious and follow Jesus? Will we follow him? If we will, we must follow him into our community and see our world and others as Jesus saw them. By our words and by our lives, bring them the living water of knowing and following Jesus. This will change the world. One life at a time. That's what Jesus did if you want to follow him. That's who he was. Who he is. And the truth be told, as I'm talking about this, some of you are sitting there going, um, that Samaritan woman. You're thirsty, even though you're here. Maybe that's why you're here. Let me ask you, are there indications in your life on the outside that your soul is thirsty for God on the inside? Are you drinking from wells of this earth, but you still find yourself so empty and thirsty? Listen to the words of Jesus transitioning into chapter 7, three chapters later. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It starts as this woman in this story started. With a question and a request, sir, give me this water. Just start by asking. For some of us, 
to be really direct here for a minute, starts by some of us never been baptized into Christ, been holding back. Do you know the Bible says when you're baptized into Christ, you are filled. That's when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You began experiencing the very thing Jesus was pouring into the heart of this woman. If you haven't been baptized into Christ in our prayer time, talk to one of our shepherds and say, man, can I study with you more about this? I don't really have much of a conclusion here. I was looking for one. Let's stand and have a prayer together. Go live it. (laughs) I'm going to start us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask that our shepherds be available to the ones that are here. There's only four of them that I noticed. And so, look, there's a lot of people here and a lot more needs here than we have people to meet the needs in prayer. So if you know someone that needs a hug and a prayer, go to them this morning. Um, And if you're one of those people, reach out to someone. And we just want to say a little special prayer I think they're still sitting over there. Or did they go? Oh, they're not here. Okay, so Bill, I'm going to ask that you pray with Michael and Becca for these two precious girls, uh, Isabella, Bella and Angel, who both have been uh, injured in great ways and they're recovering and they're going to have surgery on Tuesday. Are the Geigers here? They're not here. Uh, Laura's having surgery Tuesday. Bill, would you certainly pray for them? If you know someone else, let, let me start us out with a prayer and let's enter into our prayer time. Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for seeing beyond my horrible, ugly, dirty, our horrible, ugly, dirty, sinful exterior into the interior thirst of our soul. Thank you for filling us with your living water. Thank you for seeking us out. And Father, as we have freely received, help us to freely give. Father, Today and the next two Sundays, inspire us with this story. Equip us by this story to be your instruments of healing our broken world, one life at a time. Oh, Father, show us where those Jacob's wells are in our community. Lead us to those who are thirsty. Give us courage to share with them your living water. And we come to you now in prayer. And we hear your words of invitation. Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Oh, Father, we turn to you now. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.